Have you ever wondered what it's like to experience one of the oldest rainforests as a blind person? Or how it feels to get around one of the seven wonders of the world with mobility issues? You're listening to Accessed That, a podcast that explores what it's really like to travel as a person with a disability, like me. I'm Carney Liddell. And I'm Oliver Hunter. Each episode, we send a travel lover on an adventure around Queensland, and then we get them in the studio to have a chat. We ask them what it's like for them to navigate the world, hearing the highs, the lows, and the lowdown from people who have been there. Access that. This podcast is presented by Queensland. Before we get going, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and the country we love to travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I would especially like to pay my respects to the First Nations people living with a disability. Well, hi, Carney. We're back. Hi, Ollie, and welcome to everyone. Yes, uh, today's guest is uh, slightly different, isn't she, Carney? Well, I think all our guests are different, but this chat's a bit different today. This this chat is different. (laughs) But the reason why it's different is because we've got cameras, and that's why I put the makeup on and brush my hair. You probably should have done the same thing. Thanks for that. No worries. And the reason we are doing that is because our guest today is the very lovely Sophie Lee, who happens to be deaf. Yes, and there's going to be two parts to this episode. First part, we'll have an Auslan interpreter in, and um, the Auslan interpreter will help us communicate with Sophie, and then Sophie will be able to communicate back to us. And then we're going to switch um, for the second half of the episode, because Sophie will put in her cochlear implants. Did I, say, I hope I said that correctly. And then she'll be able to show us how she communicates with her implants in. It'll be two very different conversations. Our guest today, Sophie, she's the CEO of Sign How, Australia's first community sign dictionary. We were pumped to chat to her about that, of course, and how deafness changes the way she travels. Check out this episode with Sophie. Welcome, Sophie. It's so great to have you. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. My name's Sophie. This is my sign name. I was born deaf. I grew up in Melbourne and then I moved to Brisbane to be close to family. And Sophie, what was that, um, the diagnosis journey like when you were, when you were born or when you were little for your parents, uh, when it all sort of first started happening? Oh, well, my parents didn't, you know, they didn't expect me to be deaf. Both of my parents were ballet dancers. They loved dancing. They loved, um, you know, my father's Chinese. They loved meeting people and my mum's Australian. So I have a huge family and there was, you know, a lot of talking. And when I was born, they, um, you know, they were upset and really heartbroken uh, when they found out that I was deaf and, you know, just trying to work out what was best for me. And they decided, you know, we're going to try and, give me hearing aids and teach me to talk and kind of went down that route and you know they wanted me to communicate of course and you know I I did I achieved that actually. So right now you don't have your cochlear implants because I'm looking at them right there. Yes that's And I've actually never seen them before I thought I'd seen everything to do with disability so this is kind of cool for me. Oh. So right now we're doing Auslan when did you first? Yes. When did you first get your cochlear implants? So my first cochlear implant was when I was four, and then my second was when I was fourteen, and then I had a cochlear 
break when I was 29. So I've had three different sets, I guess, of cochleas. Yeah. A cochlear break, a break up. <laughs> well, I tried to see if I would like to have a bit of a break because I wore my cochlea every day and I didn't really have an opportunity to kind of, you know, be deaf and take those cochleas off. And I did, I, I tried for about a week and um, so my whole family's hearing and so communication was a bit of a barrier. It was quite interesting. I think being deaf and then being able to hear sometimes as well. So your parents learned Auslan? Yes. So look, it's a funny story. My parents never wanted to learn <laughs> signing um, and then I was patient. They said like, you can sign, but we won't sign. And I said, that's fine. Like, that's that's what I want for me. And then throughout COVID, my mum, you know, she um, nearly finished writing her book, Mary's Last Dance. And when they were going through the edits, they realised, oh, yeah, there was no harm in learning Auslan. So they said that they're going to start Auslan lessons. And I thought, oh, okay. And then they started learning the alphabet. My brother joined, my sister. It just became like everyone in the whole family. And now it's really nice because, you know, if my mum calls me in the morning um, and I, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, it's like you haven't woken up without a coffee first. Um, and I said, like, I don't wear my hearing aids in the morning kind of thing. It's too early. And so I FaceTime my mum and my mum's like, oh, are you are you not wearing your cochleas? And I'm like, no. And so we, um, you know, we have our little conversations and we have like, you know, we gesture, there's some Auslan there. And it's really, it's, it's nice because it's made my morning better uh, and it's really nice to have those conversations. It's made a huge difference. Do you have siblings? Yes. So I'm the eldest. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister and they're both hearing. And then growing up at school, were you signing or were you ha did you have to learn how to lip read and, and speak like everybody else? Yeah. So I grew up um, learning to speak and I didn't sign until I was about 23 years old. So when I finished school, I went to university and then I started my first year of work and that is when I started learning Auslan. Wow. And what level of hearing, Sophie, do you have with your implants in? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I want to explain, so the cochlea only gives you like a limited amount of hearing. So, for example, like hearing people have got like 10,000 hearing cells, for example, but I have 21 electrodes. So there's 10,000 compared to 21 is, you know, a huge difference. And I actually have a YouTube video that kind of shows how I can hear. And it's really quite interesting because it, people kind of say, like, if I had to listen to that all day, I, I just don't know if I could. I'd scratch my eyes out or something. It's just, you know, but that's just what I hear. Mm -hmm. And for hearing people, it's not, you know, uh, it's not, it wouldn't be enough. But for me, I hear it well enough. Yeah. But it's not like being, um, you know, completely hearing and hearing like you guys would. But you can make it work. Oh, Yeah. Like, you know, with a combination of like lip reading and 
you know, like different background noises, if it can reduce that, things like that can really help. Um, and I don't get as fatigued trying to concentrate. So when you get home, most of us take something off first. <laughs> Me is my bra, then my shoes. Is your cochlear implants <laughs> off straight away? Is that it? Um, no more hearing for the day? Yeah. It, it is the last thing I put on. And, and yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like the first thing I take off. Yeah. And actually my housemate is also deaf uh, and he sometimes, you know, like after a meeting, a work meeting, he just goes, oh, I've got to, just got to take it off. And that's his rest time. So, yeah. It's the ultimate zone out. Every, we all say we're zoning out from the world, but taking out your implants yes. would be the ultimate zone out. Yes, exactly. And it is the best. Sometimes, you know, noise can be, you know, overwhelming and we outside, you know, there might be like really different loud noises and trucks going by and, you know, all of these background noises and I could just take my cochlears off and it's really lovely. Yeah. So you've obviously travelled before. Tell us about your travel before and what makes travelling easier. We call it an access reader. If you're going to travel somewhere, what do you try and organise to make travelling accessible to you? For myself, probably two things. I need to make sure I've got good internet wherever I go. If I need to contact someone, I can, you know, uh, do it by the internet or live chat because, you know, phones generally aren't accessible for me. Um, You know, they're noisy, they're heavy, like, you know, there might be an accent if I'm trying to um, talk to someone. Also, uh, travel insurance to make sure that um, I have cover to cover my cochlears. They are very expensive, you know, like um, the equipment, I don't want to have anything happen to it. So, you know, I think they're about $12,000 or $12,500 each, the cochlear implants. So, and they do break really easy. With your travel, Sophie, all the different kinds of travel you've done over your journey, are there some travel that's, I guess, more better than others? Like what do you sort out when you're traveling? Oh, uh, one of my favorite travels was Cuba. Wow. It was really, really cool. I had, you know, a mix of friends that I met there. Um, I was doing some solo traveling. It was really nice. I think in the same trip to have that mix, you know, sometimes it's overwhelming being with a lot of people. So mm-hmm. just having that time to myself was really nice. So yeah, really fantastic. I had a lot of help. So I had like a lot of local knowledge, which really helped a lot. And, um, you know, if anything like went wrong, I could kind of, you know, go up to this person, people and say, oh, can I buy this or where can I get that? Uh, you know, to kind of get that support. It was um, it was nice. Nice to have people on your side when you're traveling. Uh, and then I think there's a, there's been a couple of bad traveling experiences where it kind of hasn't been worth continuing. And I'm like, do I just book the next flight home or, you know, because like I think, you know, we struggle with so many different battles. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, and it can be really exhausting to advocate when you're when you're on holidays and you're trying to travel and you kind of just want to switch off and have a break and that doesn't really happen. So 
you know, sometimes it's kind of like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to forget it all and just go home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have had experiences like that in the I past. often say I don't want to feel more disabled on my holidays. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I think we both can definitely relate to that, Carney, that, that exhaustion level on a holiday. I've had times where I just want to, I just want to go home. I want to give up and go home. Yeah. And I've luckily had the times that's happened overseas. I've had friends in, in the country and I've rang them and gone like on the other end of the phone going, help me. And mm-hmm. that, that support is a lifesaver. Otherwise it would be, I need to be home now. And it, yeah, it can be, it's, and it's frightening and it's makes you sad because you just want to travel like everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, that's so right. I find when, you know, I travel with other deaf people, it's easier mm. because, you know, we're together, we're more, you know, powerful in numbers, I guess. You know, mm. we have like, hey, like, well, what about us? Where's like the accessible, you know, where's the captions? And there's, you know, a group of us. But if it's one person, you kind of feel like it's a lot of pressure to advocate for yourself. So, yeah. I found the deaf community, I'm a Paralympian, so we don't have obviously um, athletes that are deaf compete at the Paralympics. And then when I was introduced to the deaf community, you're very connected. Mm. And I see that you're CEO of Sign How, so I'm guessing you're really connected now back with the deaf community. Yeah. So... At the moment, we're building a website called Sign How and really we want to, you know, work with the deaf community, the older, younger, you know, different background, different um, locations, making sure that we have the community and that representation in the, um, on the website, yeah. And you said to me that you're quite unique in terms of the way that you speak and how you communicate Hmm. And you don't often feel like you, you don't want people to be the benchmark. Can you explain that to me? Ah, uh, so for the next part, mm-hmm. I'm going to speak and you might be like, wow, there's no like deaf accent. So like a lot of people just assume I've grown up with hearing and then I've lost my hearing. Mm-hmm. People don't really understand that. I am deaf, they will go like, oh, are you deaf like this? And so it kind of like, yeah, it kind of makes people assume that everyone is like me, um, but that's not the case. I'm I'm lucky I have a working cochlea. I'm lucky that I got to speak and I'm lucky I had the right support, the circumstances that I grew up in. So like for me, I have to say to people like, I had these opportunities that other people might not have mm-hmm. or I was lucky that co- the cochlea's worked for me, but it might not work for someone else. So I think every person is very different, just remembering that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that could be a great segue. We're building it up. Are you ready to put your cochlea's back in? So Sophie's just put in her cochlear implants and she's going to tell us about her Queensland travels and now we're going to do the podcast as the second part and uh, we mentioned off the top as well. So it'll be a very interesting conversation. The magic of editing has occurred. Um, to you guys listening, we, uh, we never left. But for us here, we had some rejigging and some movement. And Sophie, you've now got your uh, cochlear implants in. What's changed for you now? 
well, now I can hear and speak and um, and I've also got an interpreter interpreting for me as well. So just come back from the Gold Coast, but you're actually a Queenslander. I am a Queenslander. And how was your trip? It was really nice. I was quite cold. It was in August and uh, they had a really cold snap, but it was really beautiful seeing all the mountains. I've actually never been to the Ovalis retreat. Oh, that's yes. where you went. That's where I went and it was beautiful, like the tree What's it called? The treetop walk. I wouldn't know. Oh, tell me all about it. Is it yes. accessible? No, no. I I think it is accessible. It's just you can't climb the ladder. Yeah. yeah. But you still are on the treetop. So that was actually quite cool. So that was really beautiful. I actually got pretty scared because it is quite high up and it gets more narrow. So I don't think bigger people can fit in. Like mm-hmm. I was already struggling and I'm quite small. Yeah. So that was really beautiful and. I think I prefer the beach. I think that's my yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I love the beach. Love the love the sand and love the ocean. Because wheelchairs love sand. I mean, I love. Sometimes I love looking at it. That's all I need. Some days <laughs> from my balcony. Yeah, I can just go. There's the beach, and I'm um, yeah, I'm up here, but the beach is down there. Yeah. At least you won't get sand in all places. Yes. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so tell us about some other activities. You mentioned the treetop walk. What What else did you do while you? Uh, so I went to do the flying box. Um, that was really nice. Yeah, we don't believe you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, well, you just up it, it wasn't. It wasn't fully accessible. You have to be at a certain level of fitness. And so for me, like just climbing, it was quite steep, and it was there's lots of pebbles and things like that. So you have to be quite careful because otherwise you just slide right down and probably won't get back up again <laughs> but it was fun though like once you go up there and actually went on the flying fox it was that was a fun part yeah um I, I didn't want to do it and actually it was my friend who came with me at the time and she's deaf as well and she wanted to do the flying <laughs> fox and it was raining um oh. it was windy <laughs> and I was like marrying you I think I just won't go to the bar and just grab a glass of wine and just call it a day and she said no we're going to the flying fox <laughs> we're doing it sometimes you need that though a friend there a bit of peer pressure a bit of friend to push you along that's for sure uh well that's exactly why I invited her yeah. <laughs> oh so she's the she's the goer yeah she's the go-getter yeah yeah and I'm a sport head, so I love the fact that you went to the Women's Soccer World Cup. You saw one of Australia's matches in Brisbane. That's right, yeah. So actually, uh, this, that was actually my first soccer match yeah. and I loved it. Uh, there's a lot of new rules that I don't really quite understand. And um, so I kind of like had to Google, but then the internet wasn't really <laughs> quite working with that many people in the stadium. Um, but I really loved the vibe of the football and I was a little bit heartbroken that the Matildas didn't win, but the way they play the games is quite inspirational. But none of us know the rules. I feel like most of us, like as in, not, not, not everyone, yeah. sorry, no, not yeah. you. I, I'm not a soccer I'd never seen. I'd never seen a soccer match in my whole life until yeah. I was at the same game as were you were you? when we lost. But then I went ah. to the one where we won as yeah. well. So when you're there in a stadium, do you keep your cochlear implants on or is it too much? Um, actually, my cochlear implants can readjust the the noise and the volume as well. Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah, so um, you can have that option and I decided to try that at the game and um, but actually I, I prefer to hear it as naturally as possible so I actually left it at full volume. And The was, atmosphere was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was amazing, yeah. I really loved being there and I hope that we can see another one again here in Brisbane. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we've, well, we've got Brisbane 2032 Paralympics, Olympics just, just around the corner. True. Yeah. But let's see if we can try and get in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah. the tickets will be sold out. In terms of the Gold Coast, you did O'Reilly's. Did you leave O'Reilly's aside to come back for the World Cup? Yeah, so we stayed at the O'Reilly's for um, two days and then we came back to see the soccer game and I was um, really quite incredible. And it's really nice to just explore Brisbane, even if you live here, um, but in a, in a different perspective and that was really quite lovely, yeah. So you went to the Gold Coast at O'Reilly's. You said something about worms. Yes. So um, the final activity we did at the O'Reilly's was a worm, glow worm tour. It was interesting because even with my cochlear implants, I still quite couldn't quite hear the tour guide when he explained a lot of the, um, the trees in the forest, the stories behind it, the, the plants that were poisonous. Uh, I, just, I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm, glad yeah. I'm glad you're alive. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad as well. Yeah. And, um, and then when we got to the actual place where the glowworms lived, he explained over um, – while we're singing in the dark and, I, I, like, you can't lip read, um, you can't hear <laughs> and all you can see is just little green lights, you know, on the wall and you're staring at it for the next half hour. With two deaf people. With two deaf yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it because I was like, oh, how would it work with an Auslan interpreter? And it wouldn't because the Auslan interpreter will also be in the dark. So <laughs> we will be able to see. <laughs> and then I thought about captioning. So when the person was speaking mm-hmm. and then perhaps it could be transcribed into text but then there was no internet so that wouldn't work either. <laughs> you're in a cave, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean the only one thing I could think of that could have worked and then we could have understood what we were looking at is maybe they had a handout beforehand or a video of some sort that we could watch so by the time we get to the global material we can kind of like piece the information together by ourselves. I've just got a question about, so we've had two other guests throughout the series that are um, vision impaired and blind. So they've talked a lot about their sensory, how they engage with their other senses to go on holidays or any activity. So how do you engage with your other senses and what sort of sensory things do you do, whether travel or in your day-to-day life? What do you really um, sort of focus on and how do you do that? Um, so I focus, I rely a lot on my, on my eyesight. Yeah. Yeah. So my hearing's never going to be absolutely yeah. perfect. Um, so my eyesight is the number one thing that helps me navigate with like maps or when I drive or when I cook or when I communicate. It's lip reading, all of that. Um, and even in Auslan, you, you need your eyesight yeah. to be able to communicate. Yeah, so it's mainly just eyesight. My nose is absolutely crap um, <laughs> and everything else is pretty standard, I would say. <laughs> so with your trip to the Gold Coast would and Brisbane, is there anything that you'd, stands out as being something they could improve aside from the glowworms, maybe learning how to do Auslan? Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's on the glowworms to, to, we could, we could to, to butter up and do some Auslan, yeah. <laughs> we could train them. You can you train anybody, what? right? Uh, you know what, though, I was thinking about um, how deaf-blind people navigate mm. and they use a lot of tactile signs and because we can't see, we're mm. essentially deaf-blind. Yeah, in that scenario. In that, in yeah, that scenario. Yeah, so absolutely. maybe I could really learn how to <laughs> do the deaf-blind alphabet and do tactile signing. Then maybe we could bring a deaf-blind interpreter on it with us on the trip. Wow, well, okay, yeah. That's, so that's very um, ambitious, but I like um, how you think. Yeah, and a lot of practice too. <laughs> 
So is there anything else um, that you to improve throughout the trip or that would have made things a bit better other than, as we said, the glowworms? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think just the one thing, for example, check-in can be so much more smoother. Mm. It's, a, it's one thing that we don't really need to have interactions unless absolutely necessary. Um, so we had to check in, but it was it took a really long time and a lot of people behind us kept talking over us mm. and um, and that was quite rude because we were still conversing. So if I was hearing and talking, they wouldn't necessarily talk over me. But because we're deaf and we're writing things down, they feel like they can talk over. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're pushed aside and then the, the receptionist or whoever's at the desk is then working with that person accidentally, even though that wasn't the case in the mm. first place. Because mm. people often talk to our support workers or our friends if, they're, if with a, we're with an able-bodied person and I know it's very tempting to look at the interpreter. So you feel people do that a lot? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's just a lack of awareness um, and often we actually just have to be more proactive to be like, actually, this is my interpreter. She's actually here for me. So you actually need to talk to me. Talk, I'm, yes. I'm the person that yes. you're conversing with, not the interpreter. Yeah. So you said your parents are both ballerinas and your mum's released a book just recently. Yes. So do you listen to music? Does it interest you at all? Yeah, so I listen to music. Um, I, I love all the pops and all of that, but I, I don't actively listening to music if I, unless I, unless I feel like it. Yeah. I prefer the quiet more than the noise. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Mm. So Sophie, I know when I'm in a foreign country, uh, there can be a language barrier, right? So I, I, I like to say, I laugh and I say I'm flat out talking English as it is, let alone another language. But if I'm in a foreign country or have to translate another language, I just whip out Google Translate and then that, that feeds it back to me, the audio. So how do you go um, and how does communication work for you in a foreign country? Because as far as I know, Auslan is specific to Australia, that, where that's, hence there's the Oz in it. So how do you go in uh, foreign countries? Um, really great question. So if it's with no one who's deaf and I'm, perhaps I'm travelling by myself and um, I, I, I don't know anyone, then I would also use Google Translate as well for a lot of things if I don't have my cochlear implants on. If I am learning the language, so for example, I went to China and I lived there for a year, I try to speak Chinese as much as possible and try and speak in their language and they often are a lot more welcoming and they're happy to help you even though there's a huge language barrier. If you're attempting to speak their language, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they see the effort that you're putting in and they're more receptive of helping you what you're trying to do at that point. Yeah. So when I travel, often my friends have to translate what I'm saying because I'm so Australian. So when I go to Ireland and Scotland, I can't understand them and they can't understand me <laughs> because I am quite Australian. The ochre accent. The ochre yeah, accent. Yeah. And I, th I think I get worse when I go overseas. I, mm -hmm. it's, it tends to relax or maybe I'm just a really proud Australian. <laughs> but do you prefer to travel with people, interpreters, friends, partners? I think it depends who I travel with. Mm. Um, I find that as I get older, I get more particular. And there we all. Yes. <laughs> And I think um, circumstances change as you, like, for example, I now live with housemates and now I just won't travel by myself. Yeah. But perhaps if I live back at home, um, maybe I might want to travel with friends or if I live by myself, then maybe I want to travel with a whole bunch of new people. 
So I think it really depends on the circumstance. I don't really have a preference, if that makes sense. I read somewhere, and I think I said this before, but I read somewhere that now know, 80% of the world watch their social media videos and uh, I'm trying to sound really cool, YouTube and TikTok <laughs> yeah. with live captions and I'm one of them because I can't stand noise. So in my house, no, no phones on, even if you're a visitor, no phones on, can't stand it, which is why no, nobody can get in contact with me, but I watch everything with live captioning. Can you watch everything now? with captioning or is it only some things? Oh, it's still only some things. Um, So a lot of like TV and entertainment streaming services are really good because they're American and they're under a really strong um, American Disability Act. Mm -hmm. Yes, we love love that act. Right. I I love it as well but I'm just so sad it's only confined to America, it's not the rest of the world, but they have to caption everything. And that's fantastic. And that's how we actually access all those content. But when it comes to YouTube, it's automatic captioning. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that's not always accurate. And most Instagram, most TikToks are becoming more and more captioned lately. But there's still a lot of barriers. Like, for example, it's a lot more work for us with signing to put captions on videos because a lot of captions rely on audio to automate, to become text. But we have uh, to manually enter each of the words because it's no, there's no um, sign to text feature just yet. Okay. So that, that issue of that sort of captioned censorship, what's the psychology behind that or what's the issue behind that? What do you think is driving that, um, that censorship? I think a lot of people are just used to not having captions. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people also don't realise how much more accessible the content is with captions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, both my parents can hear perfectly, same with my brother and my sister, but a lot of them most of the time actually ask, oh, where, where can we put the captions on? Mm. They actually find it that with the background noise might be music or it might be a really strong accent. They still actually prefer putting captions on. Do you uh, watch a lot of SBS with the, the uh, subtitled movies? Is that, a, is that a go-to? You love a foreign uh, flick with the, the subtitles? Um, actually, that's a flashback to my teenage days when I was trying to go see movies and there was no captions and it will be foreign films Yeah, because it will be the ones oh, with the English captions, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't do as much as those anymore. My, my go-to is actually documentaries. So 20% of the world or 20% of Australia has a disability. What's the percentage of the disability community that is deaf? Uh, At the moment, it's one in six, so about five million people who have a hearing loss. And I think partly it's because it's an ageing population and partly because we've got more situations where noise-inducing damage to your hearing. So most of your deaf mates getting cochlear implants now? Um, It's 50-50 still. Yeah, I mean, some of them did have cochlear implants but didn't quite work for them and so they've gone back to just not having any cochlear implants and some of them still wear hearing aids. When you, you mentioned that it doesn't work for some people, why, why is that? So um, you have to have all the anatomy in the ER to actually be able to qualify for a cochlear implant. So, for example... Um, you need to have an auditory nerve nerve, and then it relies that nerve to send all the sound to your brain 
all the, we call it electrical signals to your brain. But a lot of deafness don't have that anatomy or that connection. So therefore they wouldn't be able to qualify for a cochlear implant. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So it's not a matter of just sticking a um, microphone in your ear and away you go. There's a whole lot of stuff going on that, yeah. Yeah. So the ER is actually one of the most complex um, systems in in your body mm-hmm. and it's got the three of the smallest bones as well. Um, I don't know if you knew about that. And, um, yeah, but with cochlear implants, it's it's really suited if you've, if your deafness is quite specific to sensing your hearing loss. And with your implants, how do you, what's your process with managing like infection? And because it's a, like you're taking it in and out and you're outside world. And so what's that like as a process? Yeah. So actually I don't ever get hearing infections anymore because it's not hearing aids. Hearing aids are the ones that goes mm. into ah. the ear, but mine actually goes around the ear ah, okay. and it gets connected up here and just connects on. Right. Yeah. What about swimming? Oh, I don't ever wear them swimming. I can have waterproof covers to cover them, but I find them they're too much of a hassle. And I have to keep looking around to see where the cockling plants could have gone if they're not on my ears and mm. they can just float away. <laughs> and there's been quite a few cases when that has happened. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. <laughs> yes. Well, see, my wheelchair can't get wet because it's got a battery. So can actually, if it, was, if it was pouring rain, can't get wet? It's splash proof. Mm. But I don't want to test it because they're so expensive. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we always ask everybody this last question, this one very, very, very important question. All conquering question. All yeah. conquering, that's a good word. If there was one thing you could change to make travel more accessible, what would it be? I think to make travel more accessible, I think just ask the person what would make it more accessible for them. So for us, like for example, maybe we ask a hotel, like we say, hi, hi, I'm Jeff. Do you mind making this more accessible for us? If they say yes or whatever, that's fantastic. Like, and they can also ask us questions about how can we make this accessible for you? I think that's really important. I think the fact is with just our disabilities, we're all so different. Mm. So quite often not, there's no one fit all solution. What would make an airline more accessible? Uh, a lot of things actually. So there's a lot of announcements on the speaker and they don't often put on TV, mm-hmm. on the TV screens. And like the so, text of the, yeah. yes. And I think that will be a huge difference because even for people who are traveling through or don't have English as a language or um, maybe they don't realize they have a hearing loss, then the, the visual part really, really helps a lot. And then on the on the plane, you know how you've got the safety. It's all audio. You know you've got the you've got the people mimicking where mm. where things need to go, but it just still doesn't make sense without the context behind it. And also the movies, the TV shows, not all of them are captioned. So if you're in a wheelchair, you go on first, and they give you the whole safety demonstration before anybody gets on. So if you'd like, I could give it to you now if you'd like. Oh, that'll be yeah, fabulous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because we have to get it before because I guess they assume we can't understand or can't hear, which is interesting because obviously I can, but that's what they do. That's part of their um, yeah their systems, their systems which need fixing. We get two rounds basically. We get our own individual um, mm-hmm. dedicated round and then we get the um, the mainstream round with the rest of the uh, passengers. So it's, yeah, we, we know it off by heart. So happy, yeah. to, happy to give it to you. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. I loved being here today. Oh, thanks for coming. It's been a great chat. As, as we have with every guest, we've learned so much. 
And yeah, thanks for coming on. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Access That, presented by Queensland. We'll be back again soon with more from the people who have been there and accessed that. In the meantime, head over to queensland.com for more on accessible travel.